I suspect that throughout your life, you have attended some conferences. Maybe they were professional conferences. Maybe they were church-related conferences. Uh, they, you know, there are conferences about all kinds of things. I get uh, solicitations virtually every day to attend a conference, and you may as well. They're all over the place, and they can be really helpful. And uh, they're sometimes really nice things. You learn things, you get away. Uh, there, there are all kinds of ways we can connect to conferences and all kinds of conferences to connect us. But recently, I came across what I think is one of the most unusual conferences I've ever heard of before. It's called the Boring Conference. This is a real thing, too. It, it is a conference about that people come together to talk about boring things. Here are some of the subjects that they have covered over the last few years of this conference. Sneezing. Toast, the sounds made by vending machines, barcodes, yellow lines on the highway, assorted arcane features of the Yamaha PSR-175 Portatune keyboard. Now, that's getting really specific and boring. Inkjet printers, but not just any inkjet printers, the inkjet printers of 1999. Ice cream band chimes, electric hand dryers, and on and on the list goes of things that people come together. And here's the amazing thing to me, is that this conference gets sold out every year. People are coming to a conference to talk about boring things. And, you, and, you, and I'm reading this about this conference, and I'm thinking, why in the world would people spend their time and money to go to a conference like that? And I wonder if it's because there is a yearning in the human heart to make sense, have some meaning out of the ordinary things of life. There's something in us that wants to believe that the ordinary moments of life have meaning and significance because so often it feels like they don't. You get to the end of your day and you look back and if you were to evaluate it, you might say, well, I accomplished some things today, but there are a lot of things I did today that... Quite frankly, I'm having a hard time finding a lot of meaning in. And I think this is especially true of people who are followers of Jesus Christ because we are continually thinking about purpose in life. We're thinking about our lives being connected to something eternal and spiritually significant. And when life isn't, it feels as if we question ourselves and we wonder does it really have any meaning? Does it make any difference? It's just. Ordinary stuff. We just did life. And I want us to think this morning about the fact that God is as interested in the ordinary moments as the moments we call extraordinary. God is as interested in the moments we call spiritual and the moments that we call secular. God is interested in the ordinary because God is present in the ordinary. There are no moments in which God is not present and active and at work. Even if we don't see it or even acknowledge it. Psalm 139 tells us, in the NIV it asks the question, Where can I 
flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? It's a rhetorical question. And you see that in other translations who don't word it in the form of a question, but a statement. I cannot get away from your spirit. I cannot get away from your presence. Because God is in every place. And if God is in every place, then God is in every moment. And in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as a, as a moment in which God is not present. And that means the ordinary has meaning and purpose. And God is at work in the ordinary, and we need to see that, because so often we compartmentalize our lives. Richard Foster calls it an inner apartheid. We segregate our lives into what is spiritual and what is not. And we, we give our energy and attention to the spiritual, and then we go and live the rest of our lives kind of the way we want to. Not realizing that God is in every moment. I think about this when we consider the church calendar. There are six seasons in the church calendar. Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and Pentecost. We're in the season of Pentecost right now. I think it's the 26th Sunday after Pentecost. And, and the reason we name it that is because there really aren't any, most, in most of the traditions, there aren't a lot of special days in this season. It's about half of the year. And it's just, you see in the bulletin, it's the 26th Sunday after Pentecost. Next Sunday is the last Sunday after Pentecost because Advent starts two weeks from today, as hard as that is to believe. And for a long time, this season was called Kingdom Tide. It was a season where we talked about the kingdom of God, and that was the focus on the church. In the last 10, 20 years, it has shifted. They've started renaming this Ordinary Time. And so this is now, instead of, instead of Pentecost, we have Pentecost Day, but the rest of the season is often called Ordinary Time. And when I first heard that, I didn't like that because it made it seem like it was unimportant. I mean, it's, it's, it's not Advent. It's just ordinary time. It's not the, it doesn't have the passion of Lent. It's just ordinary time. But the more I've thought about it and looked, and, and looked at this, I realized that actually the intent of it is not to say it's insignificant but it's to remind us that God is present in the ordinary time. We have a tendency to easily see God in Advent as we ponder the coming of Christ and in Christmas and in Epiphany as Christ, God reveals himself in Christ and in Lent and the passion of, of Lent and Easter, of course, the great celebration of Christ. But this time of the year, once we get past Pentecost Sunday, it, it feels ordinary and that's exactly the point. It is ordinary, but God's just as much present in the ordinary as he is in any other time. It's all important to God. Sometimes people will come to me and, with a, a concern and, and will preface what they say to me as, well, you know, this is, it's not really that important. When I consider all the things that are going on in the world, it almost, I almost feel embarrassed to pray about this or to ask you to pray about this. And my response to them is almost always something like this. Look, if it's important to you, it's important to God. I've now come to the conclusion that I'm revising that. I've been giving people bad advice. Because now what I will say to people is, not if it's important to you, it's important to God, but rather, whether it's important to you or not, it's important to God. 
Because every single moment is important to God. Every single moment. I think that's what Jesus is telling us here in Matthew 6. He's talking about ordinary things, food, clothing, drink. I mean, important things, we need them, but they're ordinary things. They're not spectacular things. They're just things that we often take for granted. And Jesus is saying, God is in those things. God takes care of those things. God is with you when you need those things. God is present in those moments because he's present in every moment. And when we pray about the ordinary things of life, we are in essence saying, God, I need you every moment. I'm acknowledging how much I need you. And again, when we separate our lives, we tend to say, God, I'm in a pickle here. I'm in a bad situation here. I really need your help. But in these other moments, we have a tendency to say, look, I think I can handle this. I'm good. If I run into trouble, I'll let you know. I'll call you. And Jesus is saying, we ought to be praying about everything because God is interested and concerned about everything. And God is involved in everything. Every moment, God is present. And God is at work. In verse 32 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, Your heavenly Father, you know, the pagans worry about these things. Don't worry about them because your Father already knows that you need them. And my initial response to that is, then why do I pray? If God already knows my needs, why do I pray? Because praying is not informing God of something he doesn't know. And praying is not sort of some kind of economic transaction that I I do my part so God will do his part. And praying is not trying to wake up a sleeping deity, as the pagans think. Or to try to convince God to do something that he really doesn't want to do because he's the kind of God that doesn't like doing good things. No, prayer is about relationship with our God who loves us, who loves doing good things for us, who knows all about our moments and is involved and active in our moments. And we pray not because we're trying to convince God to do something. We pray because... We need to acknowledge that God is present and active and at work. And because God wants relationship with us. And yes, God does respond to our prayers. It's amazing to me when you read the scriptures and you read the history of God's people, that people pray and God does things. But even that, the heart of that, is really about relationship. It's about being known by God and knowing God. And it's seeing God at work and active in every moment. And that's why when Jesus talks here and he refers to the one to whom we pray, he doesn't use the term God. He uses the term Father. Because he's talking about the kind of relationship that a child has with a parent. It's a love relationship. And in a parental relationship, and quite frankly, if it's not, you know, it's the same thing as true be close friends. We don't just talk about life and we don't just get together when we're in crisis. A true relationship is built on the everyday moments of life. God in every moment. And our best relationships are those relationships where we just talk about life. We don't get together because we have some agenda. We just like being together. 
And it often results in having some deep conversations. But that's not why we are friends. We're friends because we just like being together. And the other things come out of that. And a parent, you know, when our, as our children get older, we, they come home from school and we say, so how was your day? Anything exciting happened? No, nothing. It was fine. And you're trying to, to pry information out of them. And it feels like, because we've all been on the other side of that, it feels like our parents are just trying to get into our business. But the truth is, you just want to have a relationship. And, and you're interested. And you care. And it's important. Because we love our children. And Jesus keeps telling us, he's going to say this again in chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel. If you know how to do that with your children, how much more your father in heaven? How much more? This is our God. I think this is what Jesus is at least partially getting at when you come to the end of Matthew 6. And he says, don't worry about these things, but instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things taken care of. What if seeking God first and seeking his righteousness is really answering the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray A little bit earlier in chapter 6 when we say, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In God's eternal kingdom, every moment will be about God. There will be no device dividing the moments for God and the moments for ourselves. There there is no division of thought in in the eternal kingdom of God. When God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, then everyone on earth will be focused on who God is. And every moment of our life will be about remembering God and thinking of God and seeing God and experiencing God. And when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying, we want that now. We want to experience life where every moment is thinking about God. Every moment is aware of the presence of God. Every moment of our lives, we are surrendering to God and we're, we're seeing God at work. That's what we want now. And it makes me wonder if that isn't what Jesus means when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first, want more than anything to be able to see God in every moment of life. Because when we see God in every moment, it changes every moment. And the ordinary takes on a different perspective for us. I think that's what Brother Lawrence is talking about when uh, he he speaks of practicing the presence of God. Brother Lawrence, he wanted to join the monastery in midlife, and he had no education, so he couldn't be a, a monk, but he, he worked in the monastery, mainly in the kitchen. And he was disappointed that all he got to do was work in the kitchen, but eventually he came to see that work in the kitchen as a means of glorifying God. And so, even as he peeled potatoes, he would say, Lord, this is for your glory. He peeled carrots. God, this is for your glory. And later he mended shoes and he said, Lord, I'm mending shoes for your glory. 
I'm picking vegetables for your glory. I'm preparing pies for your glory. I'm stirring the soup for your glory. Every moment was about the glory of God in everything that he did. And his, his work became his prayer. And he saw God and experienced God in all of that as he thought about God helping him and being present in every moment, whatever he was doing. And the result was many people came to the monastery, but usually not to see the other monks. They came to see Brother Lawrence. They came to see this man who had such a deep relationship with God that he experienced God in every moment. Even mundane things like peeling potatoes and stirring soup and mending shoes. What if before everything we did, we said, God, this is for your glory? I'm studying for this test for your glory. I'm preparing this exam for your glory. I'm cooking this meal for your glory. I'm taking care of my children for your glory. I'm mowing the grass for your glory. I'm fixing the garage door for your glory. I'm doing all of this for your glory. I'm staying awake in class for your glory. I'm staying awake in church for your glory. It's all for your glory. I think it would radically transform what we think. That every moment, whatever it is we're doing, cleaning, writing, reading, driving, mowing, fixing, God's present in that moment. It isn't just about the moment. It's about the kind of thoughts of God that change how we think about all of life and the people that intersect our lives. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, pray without ceasing. And people have interpreted that a variety of ways. There have been monks through the centuries who've seen that as stopping any everything except prayer. And so they build a 50-foot tower with a platform on it and spend 20 years sitting on top of that platform. And, and, and maybe that's praying without ceasing. I'm not quite sure that's exactly what Paul had in mind. I think Paul is saying, be in a spirit of sensing God with you every moment. There's nothing that you shouldn't be praying about. There is really nothing ordinary when it comes to prayer because all of it is a reason to pray. Because quite frankly, we live in the ordinary moments of life. That's mostly what life is. And Jesus is saying to us, and Paul is saying to us, see God in the moments where you primarily live as well as the moments when you are naturally thinking about him. But right after he says, pray without ceasing, Paul says, in everything, give thanks. He doesn't say, give thanks for everything. He says, despite what happens, give thanks. Because sometimes we don't give thanks for things that happen. And sometimes people have interpreted give thanks and everything as, well, hey, this is what's happened. There's nothing we can do about it. We just give thanks and move on. No, we are called as God's people to be agents of healing and change and justice and truth and love and compassion. And that will often mean trying to change circumstances. It will often mean trying to bring a new voice to circumstances. 
It means standing up for people. It means being active for the kingdom of God. But what we do in the midst of all that happens is not necessarily give thanks for what happens, because a lot of things are out of brokenness and sin, but we give thanks that God is present in everything that's happening. We thank God for the good times, and we thank God for being present in the difficult times. And we thank God that he is at work in every moment, whether we like it or we don't like it. God is present. As we just sang, this is my father's world. There is not a place and there is not a moment in which God is not present. Every moment. And he's at work. And we may not always see it. And we may doubt it. And we may be confused about it, but the core of our faith is that God is at work in every single moment. And we give thanks. And maybe one of the best things we can do is get up every morning and say, thank you for the sleep and thank you for this day and make me a, help me to see you, help me to find every way I can to give you thanks for who you are and what you're doing. Here's the dilemma that I've been thinking about with all of this is how do we how do we go about remembering this? I think it has a lot to do with memory. You know, we we want to give thanks. We want to think of God in every moment, but we get so wrapped up in life that it's easy to forget. And I was trying to ponder how we might remember. And as I pondered that, it took I thought back to the Lord's Prayer. I'm fascinated by the fact that when you, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, the beginning is so majestic and so big. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. These are, these are great, majestic prayers. And then we move into the more personal petitions. And I would think that the first petition would be something like, lead us not into temptation, because you know how much we struggle with that. Or help us to forgive those who have hurt us, and as you've forgiven us, because you know how much we struggle with that. But it's not. The very first personal petition is, give us this day our daily bread. It's hard to imagine anything about praying about anything more ordinary than bread, food. It's vital, but it's ordinary. And it struck me that maybe that's the place where we can remember. So here's the idea that we came up with. We got a box full of plastic spoons. And written into the little ladle part of the spoon, whatever you call this part of the spoon, is Matthew 6.11, which is the reference for give us this day our daily bread. And the ushers are going to hand one of these out to all of us. And what I want you to take this and put it on your dresser, put it on your desk, carry it in your pocket, whatever will you can do that will help you remember God is present in every moment and praying about the ordinary things is what he wants us to do. And to begin, ask him to see, help him to open our eyes to see him because we're not praying for God to be present in the ordinary moments. We're praying for God to help us see him in the ordinary moments. Because he's there.
So I'm going to ask the ushers to, to start handing these out to you. And I'm just hoping it will be something to remind you about God in every moment. And while we're distributing these, let me, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and move into our closing song. And so as we, maybe we should just go ahead and stand as these things are distributed and let's sing together our closing hymn that declares, I need you every hour.